Hey, good morning. Hey, I am Charlie, uh, the lead pastor here. If you're new, man, we really are glad that, um, that, that you're here with us. We're in week two of a series. Uh, we're talking about purpose, kind of how we find purpose. What does it mean for God to have a purpose for us? We've been kind of doing this by looking through the life of Moses. Moses is a Bible character a lot of us are probably familiar with. If we've, there's been a lot of movies that have been made about Moses over the years, and um, you know, we, we started last week, we started last week with um, talking about that God essentially um, orchestrated all of Moses' circumstances, his birth and all these, this strange story. That essentially, Moses was created with a purpose in mind. Uh, the, at this point, the, the Israelites are enslaved in Egypt and God is wanting to, to set them free. And so he raises up, he wants to raise up a leader who can do this. And he does this through this crazy story where Moses ends up, you know, they're trying to hide him from these Egyptians that want to kill all the uh, Hebrew babies. And so they hide him in this basket. And then Pharaoh's daughter, the king of Egypt's daughter, finds the baby and then raises the baby as, as her son. And so God has positioned Moses to be this, um, to have this position of influence, to be raised essentially as, a, as royalty but also to be by nationality a, a Hebrew who would have compassion for, for his people. And so that God essentially worked all these circumstances out because he created him with this purpose. And what we talked about last week is it's really not, it's not just for special Bible stories. That it's really for all of us. That God has created all of us with, the, with a purpose. He's orchestrated our lives, our circumstances, because there's something awesome that God wants to do in your life. Okay, and so you walk in there in the church, and again, we talked about it um, during the baby dedication. I mean, the mission statement's there on the wall, reaching people to become fully devoted, world-changing followers of Christ. And, um, you know, most of you, when you end up here the very first time, you end up here, you know, because you need something. You are hurt, you are, you are broken, you are lost, and you need a message of hope. And you need to hear about Jesus, and, and you need to be restored in some way. And so in that sense, you know, you come in, the mission. Man, you're the mission. You're why we're here. We want to help you find the hope and life that you need. You're the mission. But then our real desire is that once you get here and, and you begin to experience that hope and life and God begins to change your life, that you'll look and you'll think, man, man, that's really cool. This really helped me. I want to help you guys do this. So you become the mission. You're first, you're the mission. And then you think, man, I want to help you guys. I want to help you with your mission, which is awesome. But ultimately, where we want you to end up is a place where not where you're the mission and not where you're helping us, but really we're helping you find your mission. And so the idea that you find a mission here. You come here for help, but you ultimately end up with purpose. You get the help that you need and ultimately then realize, man, that God has a purpose and a design for my life. And he wants to use me to make an incredible difference. And again, it's not just for Bible characters. It's not just for missionaries. It's not just for pastors. And we've got some great examples here. We'll talk about them really all throughout this, this series. Uh, I mentioned last week, I mentioned an, an awesome man, part of our church named Dean Alexander, who, who passed away last weekend and we had an opportunity yesterday to have his memorial service, and it was an incredible tribute. It was an incredible tribute to a man, to really, to a family that lives, lives on purpose. Dean and Soph came to be a part of our church several years ago, and they came here with the intention that they believed that God brought them here so they could have an impact on young families. 
Um, If you've been married in the last two or three years, there is a really high percentage chance that they have impacted you directly. They have been leading small groups for newlyweds for years. And there's this thing that Dean would say to me after a lot, almost every message. He would come up to me and say, man, that was, that was another good one. And it was real encouraging. But here's the thing that I knew. I knew, I don't know if he knew that I knew. But I knew what he, what he didn't mean was, man, you really taught me something today. Man, I, didn't, I don't know that I had anything to teach to him. He had a lot to teach me. I don't know I had anything to teach him. But I knew what he meant. What he meant was this mission that God has given me with these awesome, young, vulnerable couples. Man, the thing that you said is really going to help me with them. And, and I believe that, that, that he and, 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 and Soph, man, we were on a mission together. I think about a couple of the other families that are kind of the, the grandparents of our church, uh, Roger and Carol Harris. He's essentially all but taken over our, our, our new member classes. He's kind of a host every week, all four weeks. He is there every week, loving and helping these new people get connected. And now he leads a small group with new members to kind of help them get in and be connected at the church. I mean, and he's, I mean he's, he's serving every week on multiple teams. He serves on the, on, they serve on the prayer team. They, they lead the small group. They're part of membership class. I mean, I'm starting to feel guilty a little bit. Like, when do we need to pay them? That's like a staff, like staff-level responsibilities staff level time put in but just as a volunteer on a mission i'll give you one more another kind of grandparent if if you're exclusively second service people you may not know any of them most of the grandparents of the grove they come during the first service because you know they probably would come to the eight o'clock service it's just kind of how a lot of older people are um jim and sandy keeling um they're on the they're on the prayer team and um, i've said this before from here that you know, at the end, at the message, there's people back there that would love to pray with you. And, and, and you get all awkward and weird and you think, oh, people pray with me, that'd be weird. Which is a ridiculously stupid thing to say, by the way, okay? <laughs> because it'd be like me saying, hey, and, and after dinner, the dessert is right here. It's like, oh, it'd be really awkward to walk over to where the dessert is. I'm like, no, dude, the dessert. It's dessert. The dessert is there. Go get the ice cream. I don't care how awkward you think it is to walk from where you are. to. I don't care who sees it. I'm going to get ice cream, right? And... And, and that's what it is. And Jim and Sandy, man, they, they, they pray for me every week. And he walks around with this little, um, little tube of anointing oil. And, and, and he, he anoints me and, and, and puts his hands on my shoulder and, and, he, and in a very loving, compassionate way. Prays for me. And, um, and they're on a mission. They would tell you that they believe that God has brought them here to cover our church and our ministry the power of, of, of God's Spirit through prayer. They're not here just, just to be a part of a church. God has given them purpose. He's given them a mission. And these are just a few examples. And I sit there and I say to you, it's like that God wants that same kind of purpose and mission for you. And you think not me, and you may have some objections. He's like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm really not worthy of that. I, I, I don't know that I, I, I want to do that. Or, or it sounds a little bit scary. And if any of those three objections are yours, I assure you, you're in good company because that is exactly where we find our, our, our man Moses here in Exodus chapter 3. So what Moses did, he was raised for this special circumstance and at the point in which he really began to understand this role that he could play, rather than trusting God, he committed murder. He killed an Egyptian guard for oppressing a, a Hebrew guy. He, he murdered him and then this murder got found out and so then he has to flee because the Pharaoh says he wants to kill him. So now uh, Moses is essentially in hiding. 
in the wilderness. And he's been this way for years and years and years. And we pick back up here with Moses, the murderer, who has run from God, who has run from his mission, and who is completely isolated from his people and everything that it would seem that God has designed him for. And most of us would consider a story that starts with God has a plan for you and ends in murder, that it ends there. That that's the end of the story. And so then God had to find a non-murderer. Right? But that is not where the story ends. It, it continues in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Let's stop here for a second. If you're familiar with the Moses story, then you probably know that you probably heard the burning bush story that God spoke, God spoke to Moses through a burning bush. And so this, this becomes a very familiar story to us. And so when it becomes a familiar story, it loses its weirdness, right? I mean, this is a weird story. You are just minding your own business, kind of, you know, tending the flocks. And all of a sudden you think, look at that bush. That bush is on fire, but the, the leaves and the sticks, everything's okay. This is so weird. I'm going to go check out this bush. I wonder what's going on here. And you're thinking, dude, what do you mean what's going on here? God talks to people through burning bushes. Don't you know that? I mean, duh. Like Moses doesn't know. He doesn't know the story, right? It's, that story hasn't happened yet, right? So he goes up and he walks up. He's about to check out this bush. It says and when, and when, when, when God saw that he was checking out the bush, he, he called out to him and says, Moses. Like, of course, it's God, right? But he doesn't know that. It's a bush. He comes out to check out the bush. And the bush says, Moses, what do you say back to a bush? Like apparently you say, uh, here I am. I'm, I'm, I'm Moses. And it says, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals. This place is holy ground. And he identifies himself as God. And there's an interesting piece of this passage that I think is important for us to note. It says at the beginning, it says the angel of the Lord. Angel of the Lord, it's an important phrase. You remember, it pops up in the Old Testament every now and then. It doesn't say an angel appeared to Moses. It's a very specific title. Angel of the Lord. Angel of the Lord appears to Moses. But then it says that it was God that was speaking. And so we're making an equivalence here between God and angel of the Lord. It's something that's not made between God and other angels. It's with angels talking. Angel visits, you know, and, and, and visits Mary and... In the, Angel has a name, is talking to Mary, but this is the angel of the Lord and, and, and God. And so what, what is believed when all this happens, when you see this phrase, angel of the Lord, it is a messenger directly from the Lord, and, and most people believe this is Jesus before he was Jesus. Jesus before he became a baby. That this was a, this was a message from God, from God. And so God the Father sends the, his son to go and to, and to talk to, to Moses. Would you like the fancy $10 word for that? Would you? Do you sure? Christophany. Christophany. An appearance of Jesus before he was Jesus. Right? And so it's, this is God. This is God himself talking to Moses. And so he continues on in verse 10. Verse 10. 
So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Listen to this. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought this, the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Can I make one observation here? It doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about, right? Do you hear this, what, what he says there? It's like, so I'm calling you to go do this thing. And, and here's how you'll know that it's me that's called you and not something you made up yourself. Here's how you'll know that it's me who called you. Once it's already happened, you'll come back here. Dude, that's not the sign I'm looking for. <laughs> right? Here's the sign. The sign is that something's going to happen after it already. No, I need like a sign along the way. It's like, and the sign is you're going to open up your hand and a rabbit's going to come pop out or something. That's the sign I want. I want, I want, I want something like, but no, like, here's the sign. And you'll know because you'll end up back here in a few years. That's not, that's not what I'm looking for. That's not what we're talking about. Today. Anyways. So he comes to him and he says, you're going to be the one that's going to lead the people out. And what does Moses respond? Who, who am I that I should go do this? Well, we kind of talked about this last week. I mean, like you were raised there. You, you have access to the palace that no one else has. You know the Pharaoh, whether it's your, your, your granddad or, or your uncle or it's your cousin, depending on how many years it's been. And you've been gone for 40 years. You don't know. But you know the Pharaoh. You can walk in and be like, hey, it's me, Moses. I'm back. You have access that no one has. Of course you. But he's like, man, who am I? What does he mean? He means, he means I'm not worthy. I'm, I'm not worthy. And I want you to hear this. God can redeem anyone. But he feels too unworthy, too broken. And there's no way God will use. Maybe God had a purpose for me once, but he does not have a purpose for me now. He thinks he's done. He's put on the shelf. Why? Because he committed murder. Right? And that's a good reason, isn't it? I mean, it's not, it's not like weird, is it? I mean, murder is kind of a disqualifier. I mean, it's the way I joke about this. It's kind of one of my little running gags. People talk about, no, I'm a good person. I've never killed anybody. Which is really a ridiculous thing to say because that means 99.9% of people are, are good, which is weird. And also, it probably says a lot about you that you would even think that. Well, I've never killed anybody. Which is kind of like, well, I, I, there's lots of people I'd like to kill. But, but I never have. I never have, so I'm good, right? If you were to make a list, though, let's say the top five most influential people in the Bible, not named Jesus, okay? Top five. Three of the people that should be on your list are Moses, David, and the Apostle Paul. If they're not on your list, you have a bad list. I'll help you with your list. All three of them are murderers. Seems to be a large, an irrationally high percentage of murderers on God's best friend list. I mean, would you agree? I mean, that's just weird. That's just weird. But I think it's on purpose, and I think it's on purpose for you. So that for you in this moment, you would know that God can redeem you. If, if God can do the most incredible, amazing things through people who just commit cold-hearted murder, then whatever it is that you think that is keeping you on the sidelines from being on God's team, you're wrong. Because God can redeem, God can redeem anyone. 
And so he's trying to help Moses understand this, and he keeps talking to him, and we kind of continue on here in verse, in verse 13. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. You tell them, I am. Has sent me to you. And of all the ways, of all the descriptions that God could have given of himself to say who he was, he'd already kind of described himself a little bit earlier in some verses that we kind of skipped over. I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob and, you know, kind of his resume with the Israelite people. But here, I mean, very specific, it's like, man, what do you want me to tell him? He said, you tell him I am is the one that sent you. It's a, very, it's a very unusual thing to say because, I mean, but really what he's doing here is he's making a really solid distinction about him and everybody else. I mean, the Egyptians, they had their gods. The other tribes, they had their gods. And those gods aren't real. They don't exist. Some of them are demons. They're not real. Everything else in this world is made up or created. And I am. Not I made, not I was, not I'm going to be. I am. Everything else I did. And I am. I just, I just am. You tell them I am sent. The one who, who did everything and who just is, was not made, did not become. He, I, just, I, just, I just am. And so what he's trying to communicate to Moses is kind of this theological concept that I think is important for us is that we need to submit to his holiness. I mean, the very first thing when the bush is talking to him after Moses identifies himself he says, take off your shoes. He says, this is holy ground. And then he describes himself in this I am kind of way, which is, this is all just kind of weird. It's not weird to us several thousand years later and several Moses movies later, right? This is all very weird. This is all very new. But what, what he's trying to communicate something, he's trying to communicate to Moses something about himself. And it's this idea of holiness. And holiness is one of those words, if I were to say to you, true, false, God is holy, and there was a one-question quiz, you, I think you would all get 100%, right? Yeah, sure, God's holy. Bonus point, define holiness. You're like, <laughs> right? But here's the thing, I, I say this a lot of times, Bible words mean the same thing in, in, normal, in, in normal world, they mean in Bible world. And so there's a couple of different uses we have for holy that I think are important. The first one is a bad connotation that we use the word holy, but it, it helps with the definition. And um, when we describe someone who just thinks that they're just a little better than the rest of us, what do we describe them as? Holier than thou. One of the only times we use good King James English. Thou. Right? Holier than thou. Right? Um, and which I guess is appropriate because, I mean, our perception of the holier than thou crowd is they probably are rocking the King Jimmy right there along their side, right? <laughs> and... Um, it's this idea that they just think, it's not that they, they it's, it's, not, it's not that they're better than you, right? It's not that they have better character than you. It's like they consider themselves to be in a different class. I'm, I'm a regular person and you're this other kind of person. And, and that's a pretty good, that's actually a really good definition of holy. Well, you think, if, if I were to say to you, again, in a non-spiritual context, you hear someone say, oh man, that place, man, that place is holy. Many of you sports people are going to particular stadiums, right? And it's good. Razorback 
won a, won a conference game, we can talk about football. We haven't been able to talk about football all fall because it's been too hurtful. We can talk about it, right? If we can talk about it, it's been good. It was a great day yesterday. And some people describe me, they describe going to Razorback Stadium. It's just a holy place. It's just kind of, it's sacred. Just something, there's something special about it. And I feel that way, actually, about, I'm a more of a basketball guy. I feel that way about Bud Walton. You just walk in, and there's just something about it, just being there. It's like it's kind of set apart, right? And, and so that's really what holy means. It's kind of, it's, it, it, it's, it's a set apartness, right? And, and so here's, we'll, we'll take sports out of it for a second. You ever go to, um, you ever go to somebody's house, and, and, you, and, and, and you're using the guest bathroom? And, and you wash your hands, and the towel that they have hung up there is like, I'm not so sure about this, right? It's not just a normal little towel. It's got like a big decorative poof coming out of it. Like, like it's, not, it's not actual towel material, so it couldn't dry your hand. And then you feel guilty about whether or not you should touch it. So this is what I do. So you grab the back half of it and just kind of... <laughs> right? That's not a normal towel. Right? That's a, that's a different kind of towel. Or, or the dishes, the china dishes in the cabinet. Why you don't ever eat on them, right? It's for special occasions, you, which never come, right? They just always, they just always stay there. Because it's not, it's not, a, it's not a normal plate. It's not a, it's not a normal towel. It, it's holy. It's sacred. It, it's, it's set apart. It's different. And so this is what God is saying about himself. I'm, I'm very different than you. I, I, may, I may be able to communicate with you. I may have personality. But what I am is, is very, very different. And so if this is a place that I have set apart for me, this place is very different. It is set apart. It is similar, but very, very different. There is a huge gap, Moses, between me and all of the rest of you. And I, I'm set apart I, I, I am unique. I have a special, a specialness to me. And we need to recognize that. And this is what he's asking Moses to do when he takes off his feet. It's what Moses is asking Moses to do. We say, trust me. We say, ask him what Moses, this is what Moses, when he says, tell him this is my name. I'm very different. I'm not just some tribal God asking you to do something. And this is why it's important for us, why I say submit to his holiness, for us to recognize, man, we use this phrase a lot that Jesus died for our sins, but I wonder if we understand what that means. But if God is really that different, and he really is that set apart, then a sin against God is not like accidentally bumping into somebody in the hallway. Oh man, I'm sorry, no big deal. A sin against God is a big deal. And the chasm between us and God is already enormous. And then I sin against that God. And then it just becomes unreachable. Which is why we're in such trouble. And which is why though, that God, a compassionate God who will redeem anyone, saw that and sent his son and said, I, I, want, I want you to bridge this gap for me. I want you to go get them. I want you to take on the consequence that, that, of their sin against me. And I want you to, to bring them back to me. And so for us, submitting to his holiness really is recognizing that fact. That my sin against God, man, it's a big deal. It has separated me from a God who's already separate. And it has isolated me and has left me hopeless without Jesus Christ. 
And so Jesus Christ, His death, takes that punishment for me so that, like we said earlier, God can redeem anyone. That's how He does it, through His Son, Jesus. And so if you're going to be on purpose, and you're not going, you know, and actually, you know, Moses felt he wasn't worthy, but God can redeem anyone. You may think you don't want to, man, but when holy God, man, when He says, you do. And we have to submit to that. And if this is what God says that He wants, if this is what God requires, this is what we do. And so for many of us, man, this is going to mean that we need to submit to the gospel really for the first time. That I'm going to choose to believe and, and come to grips with the fact that my sin really has damaged my relationship with God. I have no relationship with God because of my sin. And it is only through Jesus that it can be restored. But for the rest of us, it's, it's going to be important for us to get back there. So whether or not we've never really been reconciled to God or we feel like, man, post-reconciliation, I've made some mistakes and done some things that just keep me isolated. Man, we need to remember the gospel. And we need to remember that God is holy. And we need to trust and submit to that. Because when the God of the universe says go, you go. And His holiness requires our submission to that. And so Moses has these objections, you know, he's like, he's not, he doesn't feel worthy, but God can re- redeem anyone. He's really not sure he wants to. But when the I am, the Holy One says go, you go. I mean, we're gonna, there's tons of objections. We could do six weeks with all the, the defense mechanisms that he puts up here. We'll look at one more. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 1, Moses um, answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And so Moses reached out and took the hold of the snake turned it back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. You say this is the sign that I wanted at the beginning, right? I mean, this is... <laughs> Don't say the sign is that after I'm done, we're going to come back to this mountain. This is the sign. I want to like see a, like a stick become a snake. That'd be really cool. That way I know. And, and so again, there's just this sense in which Moses feels like, no, I'm, I don't feel like I'm, I'm, I'm worthy. I'm not, I'm not sure I want to. And then, then Moses has this other moment where it's like, I don't really think that I can do this. I don't, I don't think I can. And again, I would, I would like to say, like with the first objection, it's actually a pretty good objection. Moses was not worthy to do it, but God made him worthy. And Moses says, I don't, I don't think I can do this. And, and, and God is like, you're absolutely right. You absolutely cannot. And so not only do we need to submit to His holiness... We need to recognize His power. We need to believe in His power. I believe in this power. This is a God who can turn a stick to a snake and back to a stick. It's like that. 
We're going to talk about this a lot more next week as we see Moses follow God and trust God and go in there. We're going to see all these these miracles that he performs and these ways to try to communicate to Pharaoh and to Egypt that this is the real one true God and they they need to follow him. We're going to see God's power show up in a big way. And we're going to talk about that next week. But I think it's important for us even right now as we're going through all of these reasons in our head why it cannot be true that God has called me with purpose. That God wants to use me to make a huge difference in this world. That God, just like Moses, just like all of these famous Bible characters, God wants to use me to change this world. You think, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not good enough. You're right. But God will redeem you. Well, I don't know that I, I want to. It's, it's not an option. When God speaks, we do. We submit. And some of you may be scared to death. And there's a little bit of health in that. But trust in this. If God says go and he says he's going to be with you, he'll show up in a big way. So let's believe in that. So as we respond, as we're going to close out our service with worship as we always do, come full circle from what I said at the beginning, man, there's going to be people there in the back that would love to pray with you. You should totally do that. If you find yourself here today just a little bit broken, you find yourself just needing a little bit of courage, there are a few things better in this world that I could say that you should do than have a person of great faith put their arm around you and pray for you. Maybe you need a little bit of time by yourself there at the cross or the prayer candles or the communion station where you take the, the bread and dip it in the, in the cup and take it. Maybe you just need to spend some time in worship. But here's the thing that we need to do. We need, we need to walk away from the series believing something. The God of the universe has called you to a purpose. And whatever these objections are that you have in your head that make you think that that's not true, or if it is true, it's not true for you, we need to ask God to kill those things right now. So let's do that, and I'll start it with some prayer. Let me pray. God, I thank you for these awesome people. Everyone that you brought here. God, you brought them here on purpose. You've brought everyone here for a purpose. And God, whether or not they're just brand new and still lost, and God, your purpose for them right now is to redeem them. To help them understand the gospel and who your son Jesus Christ is. God, I pray, God, they would find that. And God, I pray for all of us and all the objections that we have, all the things that we're saying and doing that are keeping us from really saying yes. To this thing that you have for us, God, just just get rid of all of them. And God, the seeds that you have been planting in in our hearts and our minds over the last few weeks, few months, few years, that God, that you would give us the courage to believe that your power will go with us. And God, the wisdom to submit to your holiness and authority. And God, that you would give us, help us really experience the grace and mercy that comes from you being able to redeem us from whatever our past or our present is.
and we love you, God. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.